0: Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of the podcast. So, today I'm excited because we're going to talk all about marketing mediation to the psychology of disputants with guest Linda Hang. And by way of background, Linda is the CEO of Rezzo X. Linda has been passionate about dispute resolution since 2004. Despite being told in the early years that she could never be a mediator as mediators are mostly senior professionals due to youth and lack of legal training, she persevered in honing her skills and building her professional reputation. In the past 18 years since, she has attained accreditation with many reputable mediation centers, received awards for her contributions to mediation in Singapore, and actively engaged stakeholders around the world. Linda considers it a privilege to have worked with many intelligent, kind, and passionate lawyers, mediators, arbitrators, and conflict coaches who are skilled in amicable dispute resolution. X is thus an attempt to meet the needs of a world that has gone through a traumatic shared experience in the last two to three years. By leveraging on technology and how it has shaped consumer behavior, Linda hopes to connect disputants with professionals who will guide them towards cost-effective resolutions. Linda is trained and accredited in psychology and mediation by Regent's University London. So with that, Linda, welcome to the Mediate.com podcast and thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hello, Veronica. It's such a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is going to be great fun and it, it's, it's such an interesting topic and so I'm glad that we were able to make this work.
1: Oh, the pleasure is mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to get things started, you know, we had a chance to chat, you know, on a previous occasion before talking today. And I know that you are in favor of a social science approach to resolving conflict. So can you just yes. start us off with talking a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I'm happy to so um in my early years as a mediator I was trained in the facilitative approach which I believe you know, many of our listeners would be familiar with so um, but despite being tr- a trainer myself as well as a mediator in the facilitative approach I observed that parties when they have even though they have a whole slew of possible options on the table that completely make sense um, the resolutions, don't always happen and it depended heavily on the party's willingness to accept them. So um, coming from a social science background, I've always been fascinated by the interaction between the cognitive brain and the heart, you know, the affective portion of of, of your makeup and how it drives people to action, to physically really sign on, on a settlement agreement. So this led me to investigate the psychological aspects of dispute resolution. And in my research, um, I discovered a very unique training programme called um, Psychology and Mediation that was led by a group of psychotherapists uh, and barrister, uh, the late uh, Paul Randolph, and they incorporated psychotherapeutic methods um, into mediation. In a very time-limited approach and you know it was really like um, having to unwire everything that i've learned in a facilitative approach a very problem-based interest-based options generation type of approach i had to throw it all out the window and started with the person you know and and how they felt uh validating their feelings helping them to process unpack and in a very short time, so we're not talking about long counseling hours, you know, short time in mediation to help them get to the point where they are even willing to and able to express their interests, right? I mean, how, how often have we said that uh, we want to discover interests, but many disputants sometimes actually don't, don't even know, they have not processed, they, don't even, they are not even able to articulate what their interests are. So the psychology approach gave a huge emphasis um, and gave me the skills, it gave me the skills to do that. And as I practice that in my mediation, uh, in my cases, I have come to appreciate the, the sophistication of a social science approach. Um, not that it always works or it's always um Suitable for every case, but I think it's an essential tool in the in the toolbox for every
0: mediator. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So I always ask, uh, my, yeah, mm-hmm, please.
0: I, I was going to say you had me as soon as you said the phrase psychology of mediation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, so when I was mediating along the way um, I started to get interested in learning about cognitive biases and I I've mentioned this in a previous episode but it's interesting when you know I uh, so I was trained as a, as a facilitative mediator as well and it's interesting when I reflect back on that the training that I learned the mediation training the mediation theory and you know you do role plays but at least my experience, who was I doing role plays with? I was doing role plays with fellow mediators who were trained in the skills of mediation. right. And i I started to notice, like you mentioned, um, how my real world participants were acting in mediation. And that also prompted me to do some reading and on the psychology of mediation. And so, yeah, that's fascinating. So, Linda, you know, I, I'm so glad that you talked about you know the the social science approach, and you know, I'm knowing that you're very interested in looking at uh, trends in consumer behavior. And so, one thing that I'm thinking of off the top of my mind is just you know, in people's everyday lives, we're used to remotely accessible services, things like Amazon, things like Netflix. Since we're talking about looking at things from the disputants' point of view, how do you think that, you know, access to these on-demand, remotely accessible services, how do you think that influences how people want to actually resolve conflict?
1: That is an excellent question, Veronica. And um, if I could set some context here, uh, as a consumer myself, I had spent a year in Boston. That's where I got started in mediation at the Harvard Negotiation Program way back in 2003, or was it 2004? At that time, I was introduced to Netflix. And it is a, um, and Netflix at that time was uh, a mail delivery service for the rental of DVDs, which is something that was completely new and out of the box for, for someone from Singapore. And as a consumer, I remembered, you know, trying to sh- decide if I should use the Netflix service or go to a physical video rental store to get the cartoon DVDs for my daughter. And I ended up um, doing a hybrid of both. You know, it all depended on how soon I needed it, could I afford to wait, and price point, etc. But I remember being very fascinated by the whole Netflix concept. And I remember thinking that, nah, it's not going to survive. You know, they're not going to make it. And I think the news at the time was also along those lines. Fast forward to today, <laughs> um, especially over the pandemic, um, I can't do without Netflix. Most of us can't. You know, I have pretty much switched over from cable TV back to, to, to online streaming. And um, my husband and I used to, ran DVDs and binge watch on like the series twenty four. We'll take leave and watch them over twenty four hours. You know, literally non stop. But now we find ourselves with individual devices in bed watching our individual Netflix. Now I I miss actually that communal aspect of watching, uh, binge watching movies with him. But I can't help but think how the evolution of technology has shaped consumer behavior so much that it has invaded all our private spaces, you know, and we have to make very deliberate decisions if we don't want to be swept along, you know, along this, this stream. So it's along these lines is as you asked about Netflix and Amazon that um, um, also got me thinking about telemedicine platforms. So in my research, I saw that telemedicine platforms have been around for over 20 years, you know, and... But it was only during the pandemic that it became critical for for consumers. And that's when the existing telemedicine platform suddenly flourished. And um, I found myself, although being one of the tech dinosaurs, I I imagine resisting things like Uber rides, car sharing platforms, and telemedicine platforms, because I I preferred the traditional approach. Over time, my consumer behavior has changed, and I can't see myself now, um, you know, standing by the side of the road and fighting for a taxi with someone. I had a migraine recently, and because of the pleasant experience I had doing all the uh, no-swap tests uh, for for COVID on the telemedicine platform, I consulted the doctor online, and I got my medicine delivered to me, you know, within the next three hours. Um, so all this I feel is a testament to how consumer behaviour has changed and very much of it is a very deliberate uh, design from the people who, who innovate with technology to make it a seamless approach and make it very, very efficient and very, very cost effective so that we depart from our usual um, uh, the, the usual practices that we're so used to, so that made me wonder: can we do the same with this resolution? So ResoX is really all about a a a fledgling attempt to see if we can capitalize on this consumer behavior.
0: So yeah, that makes sense, and you know, I, I think you mentioned the phrase deliberate design, and I you know I really like that idea because I mean, to me, it seems like you know, there's this this sense of being mindful about what you're doing, how you're doing it. And so, you know, as we talked about kind of these remotely accessible services and what consumers are otherwise used to and expecting in their everyday lives, I mean, when you think about how consumers want to resolve a problem, do you think that people want a court? to be involved in resolving their problem? Or is that just what people know? So like, for example, you know, I'm in the United States and I know when I turn on the TV, um, what I see are a lot of different shows about, you know, legal disputes and lawyers and courtrooms resolving those legal disputes. Uh, What's your take?
1: (laughs) You know, I am a huge fan of courtroom drama. You know, the practice and... You know, legally blown in suits and the such. So um, I, I was a huge fan of courtroom drama. So I do understand. I do, I do believe that media has shaped our perspective of what a, a resolution looks like. But um, I'm also optimistic that in the recent years we have made huge strides in offering alternatives um, to to disputants. It's just that the may cognitively understand that there are options but they can't visually uh, perhaps imagine what that would look like and so that hesitancy that apprehensiveness does come from a lack of a visual understanding and appreciation of uh, mediation or arbitration or any other forms of dispute resolution i think for conflict coaches particular we i as i'm a trained in conflict coaching we even find ourselves having to equip parties with um, the language the specific words and coach them in their tone of voice on how to you know not uh, create additional ire in, in in with others so even if you a disputer wants to resolve it amicably he or she may not have the communication skills or the linguistic ability to do that and that probably is um a result of our own cultural biases, our education, but also a lot about media. The media does equip us with the language to argue, to debate, um, rather than that of um, you know, speaking calmly, speaking rationally, and and you know, coaching you in the tone of voice, et cetera. So yes, I, I do think that we are very much coached by the media and so in order for us to advocate for a more amicable type of resolution uh, we are ha- we do find ourselves facing the challenge of bucking the trend you know bucking this huge wave firstly of human nature that wants to lash out when we are angry and also the media um in the asian context uh for where I come from, in, the Ch- in, in Chinese, there is this phrase. It, it says uh, Si Ru Renshen, Renshen Ru si. It literally translates into um, movies, mimic life, and life mimics movies and there's this you know this cyclical vicious cycle approach where the media will will reflect on what life is and then life will reflect on what media is and and um i wonder if we really can do more to present a very different visual approach and visual um, demonstration of what it means to resolve things amicably yeah
0: yeah, that, that's interesting. I've always joked with other mediators that maybe we need to have more like shows featuring mediators on TV. <laughs> yes. I mean, in your experience, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I say that jokingly, but you know, I, I've mentioned before on, on this podcast, you know, I I first started my mediation career at a local nonprofit mediator mediation center. And yes. I would talk to a lot of um, unrepresented parties about mediation and it would frequently happen that I would call someone and say, Hey, I'm calling from this mediation center. And people would tell me, Oh, well, I don't need meditation. And that would just yeah. you know, always make me chuckle. Like, <laughs> "Like, okay, there's there, like, maybe there's some work to be done now over the years that happened less and less, but I'm curious from your perspective, you know, as you talk about, consumer demand and, um, you know, meeting those needs of the disputants and following consumer trends. Um, I mean, what's what's been your experience? I mean, is there is there public awareness of the availability of mediation from your perspective?
1: From my perspective, I think that we have a very, very long way to go. So I am actually deeply in awe of the amount of work my fellow um, colleagues in, in law and even in government policy, the amount of work they have done to create a, a, an, an infrastructure, I would say, that supports mediation and ADR. However, the take-up rate is exceedingly low. Um, for example, despite 20 years in Singapore of um, Advocating and publicizing and marketing mediation to businesses, having trade shows and hosting seminars with various business communities. I spoke to a representative from some of the business associations in Singapore and they have um, off the cuff indicated to me that only about 5% of businesses really understand or have even heard about mediation. 5% after 20 years of of publicity and and education. So this makes me wonder, you know, how much more can we do? And is it because we are not doing it right? Or are we not doing it in a way that that, um, sparks interest? Um, I think it's a combination of both where Litigation is just really more dramatic. <laughs> it it appeals, you know, arguing, debating, and and having people blow blow their steam off and and um, shooting off. It just it, it it draws attention and it is dramatic and it appeals to to you know our instincts or where we we do want to be entertained. So entertainment has to be dramatic. And so when we discussed about earlier about. Um, Media, I think there are uh there have been a number of shows that featured mediation. I think in the US there was a program about a female lawyer who advocated ADR. Uh, I can't remember her the name of the program now, but I've used a couple of her videos in training. I in Singapore, we also have a number of shows that have demonstrated mediation in the in the legal shows. But um it's just not dramatic and it's not sexy. <laughs> so there is a lack of uh, interest and awareness. So the, I personally wonder, and it is a bit of a, a goal in life right now with ResoX and all, if we can be more deliberate in engaging marketing professionals, engaging public relations communities, people who understand what uh, how to spin a story, you know, to try to make mediation more, uh, for lack of a better word, more sexy. <laughs> you know, to 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 dress it up, to uh, spark interest, not necessarily only to disputants, but to the general public, so that mediation becomes more mainstream. It becomes. Um, you know, a, a a word that is really used in everyday life, rather than, hey, you know, go, go. why don't you call a lawyer and and, and ask about your rights? Uh, why don't we can we make a phrase like, why don't you call a mediator and see if they can help you with the problem? You know, can we can we make a statement like that more mainstream? I think we've got a lot, a lot of work to do for that.
0: Yeah, I hear you. And I, I've always almost kind of wondered, I mean, especially, you know, we've talked, we're talking about right now kind of the, you know, the advances in technology. And it almost seems like, at least for the mediation community, I mean, that could be a real opportunity to try to, you know, promote the message and the benefits more of mediation, just because, you know, mediation is this process where the way I've described it to folks is, I mean, especially with technology, it really allows you to really accommodate the process to your life rather than, you know, at least from what I've seen, you know, in my part of the world, um, the litigated context. I mean, you are fitting your life around these particular court dates and, you know, there's like a certain schedule and whatnot. Versus, you know, when I mediated, I mean, I was I was doing some online mediations and those mediations weren't scheduled at a particular date and time. So people didn't necessarily have to take off of work or make other arrangements for caregiving and whatnot in order to be able to participate in this process. I mean, they could take advantage of like the little pieces, the little like bite sized pieces of time that were available throughout their day. And really kind of fit it in that way. And I've always sort of wondered, I mean, is that is that the direction to go, you know, in terms of, you know, we talk about consumer experience and other parts of their lives and changing consumer trends. Like, is that an opportunity to really, you know, focus on how mediation, it is flexible um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-size-fits-all process. Like people can can fit it into their lives versus fitting their lives to a process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is, you, you've got it spot on. That is exactly what I'm asking. Uh, the question I'm asking as we design our ODR platforms is: we've got there's so much, you know, in ODR, um, and many people have have developed. amazing systems and amazing um, interfaces and platforms. But as I do my research and I I ask for trials, I cannot help but feel that these ODR systems, perhaps it's because of the business model, are very catered towards the legal community. And it's very catered towards the current existing processes. It's like our ODR systems are designed to complement the current processes and thereby... Uh, cementing even more the, the access uh, to dispute resolution is via the formal structured way. So my, my uh, Resurrect is going into a phase two of development and we have been sitting down regularly to brainstorm on how can we create a, a platform and a system that transfers the control and power to disputants? So a very disputant-centric, consumer-centric platform that allows the person at the the device to initiate the mediation, make a request, choose their professionals, engage the other side, um, and in a way that is both meaningful, effective, and hopefully not overly simplistic because this is the feedback that we sometimes get from the legal community, that if we make it too easy, it become simplistic so um, i i don't know it is a big challenge so we do we are trying to engage people as we design our this new system to give us feedback you know on how in your mind if you had a chance to start from scratch if you could draw a blueprint of yourself as a disputant having to um to have having a dispute in in mind and wanting to resolve it quickly and cost effectively what would the steps be what would it look like in your mind and can we design a system that help you do that
0: yeah and i'm curious you know with that feedback that you mentioned that you're you're actively trying to get from disputants you know more and more nowadays we communicate via text or email or video conference have you received any feedback in terms of how people in conflict want to interact with each other? So do people really want to be in person facing one another in a room or, or do they prefer, you know, an online environment or, or a text-based environment? Have you received any feedback about that?
1: Yeah, I would like to answer that at uh, two levels, right? One level is the personal preference portion and um, I think that through the pandemic, we had to go online. There was no choice. And now, post-pandemic, we see people. The, the, we hear of the extroverts who suffered during the pandemic because they they had no energy. They needed energy from interaction, from face-to-face interactions. And we hear of the introverts who completely loved uh, this uh, third-party mediums of communication because it. Uh, it gave them energy to to have their space and now post pandemic we find that uh, the the verdict is no longer about whether we should go online or offline actually most companies have settled on a hybrid or hybrid version to appeal to different people's preferred mode of communication so when you are asking me about um well, we communication via text, email or video conference, I don't think it is one or the other. I don't think it's about making an, an absolute uh, choice over one medium or the other, but rather that we must embrace all the options and be able to offer all these options as choices for, for people to put them in the most comfortable uh, state of mind that they are able to approach the conflict uh, the dispute resolution process in a um, in a safe space that works for them. So that is uh, one uh, way of looking at um, these third-party mediums. The other issue that I want to deal with is um, from a neuropsychology perspective, which is that I think third-party mediums via text email or, or, or text on or email Despite the trade-offs, it can actually help with um like emotional hijacks. <laughs> Not sure if you're familiar with with, with uh, the term emotional hijacks, but you know we all oh, we are familiar with amygdala hijacks, right? So you know, the flight fight flight or freeze mode or when we are um, faced with uh, an aggressor or when we think that we're in danger. So I think third-party mediums, despite their trade-offs, can help with such emotional hijacks. Um, I don't necessarily mean that, you know, writing an angry email or sending a rude text is any better than letting go at someone face to face. But we all know of instances, you know, of, um, of our regrets after an angry word is spoken, it cannot be pulled back. Versus those split second decisions where we can actually reword text before we press the send button. So I'm hoping that um, we can leverage more on these third-party mediums um, to to work on these split-second decisions, which can sometimes lead to very devastating outcomes, to calm people down and to guide them more towards amicable approaches. I think there is value in that. Even for video conferencing, the fact that you can go off screen and take a breather. You don't have to be in a safe physical space as someone. All that um, provides a certain degree of safety. Of course, there's a trade off, right? About, you know, of all the interpersonal relations that we often talk about in in mediation. But um, I think having a slew of options can't be, uh, uh, can only only help (laughs) for ADR rather than uh, having no options or having a one-size-fits-all.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned all of this like just from the social science perspective because when I used to mediate, so I got to a point where I used to think to myself, okay, the most important emotion that I need to be aware of in a mediation is anger because I learned through my reading that anger really makes it more difficult for participants to perceive risk and yes. that makes sense how you were saying that it's just easy to say something in the heat of the moment that you later regret versus comparing to you know a text-based environment where you have that additional time like you mentioned to read to reflect maybe make some edits before pressing send that just that little bit of extra time sounds like it really makes a difference
1: yeah it allows you to look at it from a third party Third-party perspective. So that's what third-party mediums are like. You know, you write it, but you can actually step back and look at it as and read it as and consider how it could be received, and still have the space to um, you know to rewind. <laughs> that second that second chance is 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 important sometimes.
0: Now I'm curious to get your perspective. Are are there any drawbacks so sometimes when I, I talk to fellow mediators about something like you know ODr text based mediation, um, some of the feedback that I get is that you're missing out on body language, which folks hmm. tell me is an important part of of communication that doesn't get picked up via text I mean what are yes. what are your thoughts?
1: I am. Very much in favor of mediators customizing their approach to the specific disputants as well as the case facts. So, I don't think ODR is a one size fits all. I don't think that physical mediation is any better at all the time. I think we need to look at all of them as with their strengths and weaknesses and then decide if it is suitable for the parties that we are dealing with. So, for example, um, clearly, if there are geographical, uh, serious geographical boundaries that cannot be overcome, so people can't fly to meet each other face to face, then, you know, ODR really can be uh, a game changer for for such situations. But yes, the trade-offs for ODR... Are that you lack that interpersonal uh, relationship. The the dynamics become diluted. You can't necessarily read body behavior. You can escape from um, the the dynamics, and you know the mediator could be frustrated because you you can't build on the momentum, the same kind of momentum that you get when you have people in a room uh, for a day or for hours on end. Uh, Nonetheless, um, I have had disputants who benefited from both, from hybrid options. People who may need space first to feel safe and to assess the situation and not be so confrontational, and then to put them in a state of mind where they're ready to really meet face-to-face and and discuss and engage. So being... um, Face-to-face discussions, I think, require the disput- disputants and the mediator to feel safe. If they don't feel safe, face-to-face interactions, as we all know for perhaps um, abuse abuse cases, domestic abuse or sexual abuse type of disputes, we, we are very conscientious about putting people in separate rooms, for example, or we minimize joint sessions altogether. Um, it's the same concept. Can we also be very mindful if the parties themselves or the nature of the dispute uh, is or or the timing of the mediation is at a time where it makes sense for people to engage face to face. We need to be a lot more sophisticated in the way we decide when to use face to face interactions and when to use ODR.
0: And that's a good point. And I mean, thank you for mentioning that because it's really just reminding me of, you know, the importance of self-determination You know, one of those core values of mediation, and also just keeping in mind that that mediation—I mean, it's flexible enough so that it can be customized to the unique needs of each participant. So, yeah, thank you for that.
1: Um, Your question reminds me of a recent case I dispute uh, a recent dispute that I had mediated. It involved a. it was a dispute regarding trust so it was a non- to, non-profit to organization dispute within a non-profit organization what was interesting about this particular dispute is that it had been mediated twice before both times um, in the courts and in very formal settings and with top mediators with very very um, uh, well-known mediators and it had not; they did not reach a resolution. For this round of mediation, the lawyers specifically one side specifically requested for a mediator who is a, not a lawyer, and so they settled on appointing me as a mediator for this for this uh, dispute. And we I met both parties online for the first consultation, which is a private consultation before the mediation session. It was online and there were multiple people involved in, it was a three-party mediation of which one side was a committee made out of many different personalities. So we had uh, online consultations with all of them. And I think the what it did in terms of the online consultation was that it gave everyone a little bit of, uh, physical space to get to know me. And this was important particularly because they had already encountered two very formal structured mediations that were set in the courts. Um, after which, they, you know, it was very clear that people were relaxed, they were comfortable, they were uh, with people and accompanied by their friends or their colleagues, people whom they trusted, people who could give them the support in their home environment and for the mediation session we actually bucked the trend of doing it in a formal setting and we went down to the organization headquarters so once more the mediation was done in a familiar in a setting that was familiar to them in a setting that made them feel more at ease and also in a setting that reminded them even more acutely of the um, origins of their organization and you know we talk about common interests, we talk about kind of building joint interests. I think the space mattered, just being there physically in the, the building that they worked so hard to, to, to build together, um, really we kept them this time very focused on common interests. So it was a successful session, and I would like to think that it was because it was a very customized approach for them. The timing was fortuitous, of course. I think uh, they were reaching a point where it was getting really painful for them. Uh, but I think more than that, a uh, flexibility in the in using uh, different options available, you know, whether it's online or face-to-face or in a courtroom setting, in the public's uh, very formal conference room, or in a room that that they feel comfortable in. All these are aspects that I think mediators need to take into account.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I have one final question for you. So I'm curious, you know, we've talked about, you know, following consumer behavior trends. And so I'm curious from the mediator's perspective, What do you think that a mediator can do in order to learn about consumer needs, consumer trends as it relates to conflict resolution?
1: Uh, For mediators, I would like to exhort um, the mediation community to move away from speaking to the converted. Because it is so much easier to to speak to people who already understand mediation. And, you know, we try so hard to, to speak to each other, to improve on our standards, and all that is well and good. But we need to develop a voice to speak to the market, be it directly or indirectly. The question that has been um, burning inside me is how do we get mediators to speak in a way that makes the market um, sit up and pay attention? Uh, I, I don't have any easy answers. It's still very much uh, in the works for me. But I think that we need to develop that voice. We need to find the words to speak to the market to and, and to illustrate in very visible forms, how it is relevant to them. I think maybe my, my request is that we spend less time speak, speaking to each other and speaking more in a united voice to the market. Sometimes we, in our marketing uh, efforts, we we are not particularly uh, coherent. We feel that we need to speak to the business community in one voice. We need to speak to the uh, family disputes in a different voice, but really, actually, we need to look at the consumer as a person who has multiple identities. One person could be both a spouse as well as a consumer, as well as a businessman, as well as a colleague, and he needs to understand that mediation is relevant in every single aspect if he ever faces a dispute. And not only when he's wearing the hat of a businessman or or wearing the hat of a a spouse or a colleague or an employee. So I I hope that we can present mediation coherently as the mainstream decision um, when it comes to to dispute resolution. Very much like how, you know, just just speak to a lawyer, you know, when people say just speak to the lawyer, it feels like it is um, the lawyers can do anything. Can we can we make it mainstream that people can say, you know, let's speak to a mediator, you know, to can, can we make that the the core message that people will will encourage each other when they face disputes?
0: Yeah, and that's that's a powerful thought to wrap up with, you know, be relevant. That's a powerful thought. Well, Linda, this has been such a great conversation. You know, if anyone wants to connect with you or learn more about your work, how can they do so? My contact
1: details are available on our ResOX website. That's www.resox.com. I can also be reached uh, via LinkedIn, Linda Hing. So, again do check out our fledgling project resox we are only phase one of development um, phase two plans we are waiting for uh, refinement feedback and and funding before we can execute it so if you are a fan of odr and you have opinions on how to design the end-to-end odr process with disputants at the front and center of it all uh, we would love to hear from you let's have a chat
0: Very cool. And what I can do is I can go ahead and put links to both uh, your website and also your LinkedIn profile so that listeners can easily access that. Well, well, Linda, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Like I said, this has been a really great, fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Veronica. You have been such a great host. Thank
0: you. All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.